0: i'm carrie
1: and we are paranormal chicks sinister sightings 228 all right jumping right in my mom is a real life cinderella with a witchy twist sup spooky bitches i want to start out by saying i love your podcast I first started listening to y'all over a year ago when my mom and I would travel across Texas to visit college campuses. It became our own routine to put y'all on while we drove for hours on end. I love your laughs and everything spooky and ambient related. Meanwhile, every other story has a mom acting too dramatic by gossiping and clutching her heart. Anywho. Currently, I'm going through a hard time in college, so I'm driving three hours back home every weekend to see my dog and family, and I'm so grateful I rekindled my love for this podcast because it makes every trip so much better. Now to the good shit. Obviously, because of the title, this isn't my story, so some details are fuzzy, but I have the overall layout. So let me start by giving some backstory. When my mom was young, she was in a horrible car accident and lost her two sisters and her mom. Her mom's brother and father survived with some injuries, but my mom's life would not be the same afterwards. My grandfather was a doctor in Mexico, so he wouldn't be able to take care of my mom and uncle because he was always busy. So my mom and uncle went to live in a border town in Texas with their aunt. They grew up there with their aunt and uncle, who I call my grandmother and grandfather. I actually call her Wilita, but I don't know if y'all would be able to say that, so I put all Spanish words in English and their two daughters, who I call my aunts. My grandfather continued to live mostly separated from my mom and uncle, and then he got remarried. This is the Cinderella part, so buckle in because it's a wild ride. My mom's stepmom is exactly like the stepmom in the classic story, and even has two henchman kids to do her dirty work. Her shit starts right as she met my grandfather. He never acted the same after they got together and started to distance himself from his family. It was awful for my mom and uncle to watch him slowly leave their life, but that wasn't the worst of it. My grandmother and aunts could tell something was up, so they all kept their distance. But she was never far from them. She always had ways to latch her claws into my mom's life. Introducing the two stepsisters from hell. My grandmother runs a daycare, and on occasion, she would babysit the stepsisters. Well, one time, shortly after babysitting the stepsisters, she became terribly ill. She couldn't keep any food down. She lost so much weight from vomiting up whatever she ate. She went to multiple doctors who did multiple tests, and they all had no idea what was going on with her. Eventually, she was nearing her deathbed, so her mom came to visit her. Immediately when she stepped into my grandmother's house, she told everyone that something bad was planted inside that house. Okay, let me tell you, I've never met my great-grandmother, but judging from the story, she's a bad bitch. Immediately, she started ordering my aunts, mom, and uncle to search the house and find what the bad entity was. Of course, as kids, they had no idea what they were looking for, but my great-grandmother assured them that they would know it when they found it. Every crevice, nook, and cranny was searched until one of my aunts found what they were looking for. Now, everybody, hold on to your panties, because nothing could have prepared me for what came next. In my grandmother's underwear drawer, all the way in the back, was one of her underwear completely smeared in feces. What the fuck? Fuck. My great-grandmother was called, and she immediately took it to the backyard to treat the underwear. Now, I wish I had more to tell you about what she did to the underwear, but my aunt's mom and uncle were a little young, so she didn't let anyone in the backyard with her. I just know that she spent some time outside with the underwear and made a fire and burned it. Immediately, my grandmother started feeling better and was practically resurrected from the grave. They never confronted my mom's stepmom, but we all know who was behind it. My grandmother made a full recovery and to this day is living her best life drama-free in that very house. My grandfather never divorced the Wicked Witch of the West and unfortunately passed away when I was a baby. Years later, my mom is now happily married to my dad far away from her hometown. The stepmom tried to reach my mom by calling one of my aunts who still lives close to my grandmother, but she's no dummy. She said that she lost contact with my mom and to never contact any of us again. To this day, I have no idea how the stepmom was able to cause this much damage to my grandmother, but I'm grateful that I, hopefully, never have to meet her to find out. Love you, sexy lady, so much. And I would be totally fangirling if this ever gets read. I hope you guys found my mom's story interesting, and I would love to hear your thoughts on it, especially regarding what may have happened in the backyard. Much love. Insert name here.
0: Okay, so I'm so sorry that you're going
1: through a hard time at college. College is hard. A. Death. Yes. And, like, when you're in the thick of it, sometimes you're like, what the fuck am I doing? Can mm-hmm. I get out of this? I don't know. Right. And then you get out and you have mountains of fucking death
0: that <laughs> Oh, Lord, stop. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but also, what the fuck with that story? What did she do in the backyard?
0: Well, she burned them.
1: I know, but, like, what did she <laughs> say? Did she say—I see- mean, like, I mean— Like, you're not supposed to just, like, burn a Ouija board, you know? So, like, what did she do? She did something to them before she burned them. Had to have. Yeah.
0: Well, and she knew what to do since she was like, you'll know it when you see it. And she knew, like, something bad is in this house. They had some, like, C. diff on that fucking underwear. Oh, gosh. I'm so glad your grandmother's doing well, though. I mean, fucking living her best life. Right? I don't understand how anyone could hate someone so much that, like, did not do anything wrong to them. I don't know. Some people are just a special kind of evil. Yeah. Okay, the next one. Hello, my name's Gabby, and I just want to start off by saying how much I absolutely adore the podcast. It's become such a huge part of my life and my bedtime routine to the point I cannot fall asleep without listening to you both talk about ghosts and mysteries. I'm not sure I'll be featured on the pod, but I'd like to share two stories with you anyway. One happy, calm story and one slightly scarier one. I'll start with the scarier one. It started when I first moved out of my university halls of residence and moved into a uni house with four other girls. We decided that we wanted to do a Ouija board. We set it up in our lounge with the lights off and a few tea lights spread around our coffee table. The five of us had our hands on the planchette and we went through the motions. Is anyone in the room with us? Yes. Are you male or female? F. We asked the name of the person we were speaking to, and the planchette spelled out the name Sophia. Where they were from was USSR. One of my housemates made a very silly mistake of asking the entity of how it died. Even though we'd gone over rules of what to do, what not to ask, we were a bit peeved. I digress. The planchette started to move and spelled out drowned and then without asking another question, it moved again. It said, you next. After that, we quickly said goodbye in all the correct ways, packed up the board, and turned in for the night. The next morning, I was the first person awake, and I went to the bathroom. The floor was soaking wet, and the bathtub was full to the brim. And on the mirror Written in crayon was the word suffocate. Written in the Cyrillic alphabet, I hope I said that right, we didn't experience anything else after that morning, but we were all scared to death. The next story is a little more lighthearted. I live in a little town in the valleys of South Wales, UK. My grandparents live in a village that was famous for its mining industry and glorious countrysides. During World War II, a lot of children from all over the UK were shipped out to the town in which they lived as it was safer, thus becoming a huge spot for evacuees. When staying at my grandmother's house one night when I was 11, I noticed something in the corner of my eye and asked my grandmother about it. She asked me to describe what I saw. A little boy around eight years old, he had a blazer jacket on with shorts and knee-high socks and brown leather shoes. Around his neck was a string of twine and a name tag. In his left hand was an old brown case of belongings, and in his right, he held a teddy bear. A very detailed description because what I saw was very vivid. My grandmother responded with, oh, that's Thomas. He keeps the spiders away from the house. She said this like it was completely normal for a house to have a Thomas. To this day, my grandparents still live there, and I visit them at least three times a week. I still see Thomas quite frequently since that day, and he always looks the same, hence why I can still remember what he looked like. Guess what I never see in their house, though? Spiders, because Thomas keeps the spiders away. I never get any negative vibes from him, only good vibes and maybe a sense of wanderlust. You can always tell when he's around, though, as he brings the smell of coal fire with him. The smell of coal fires brings me such a warm feeling now, and I'll always associate it with Thomas and my grandparents. Thank you for taking the time to read these stories. I've always had a good relationship with spirits and entities and often find them drawn to me. If you'd like to hear more stories, let me know. I have tens to hundreds of them. Creep it real, Gabby.
1: Now we just talked about a freaking Ouija board.
0: Right. And university though too. Like Yeah. It, yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I uh yeah. <laughs> oh gosh, we're so eloquent. I mean, I don't want spiders, but I mean I don't want a Thomas. That's what I was about to say. Uh I have spider overload at my
0: house. So maybe I do need a Thomas, but No, I don't I am uh-uh. coming over
1: if you got a Thomas. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't want a Thomas either. You know, I don't like kids. Yeah, but this one you don't really have to take care of. So that's the only plus side of this Thomas. True. He's kind of pretty self-sufficient.
0: Yeah, but he might be hyper at night or something. I don't know. Yeah, you're a night body though. Night body?
1: Night <laughs> <now>. <laughs> uh. <laughs> <laughs> At least he's not spooky. At least he's just like hanging.
0: Yes. Also, I would totally be the friend who you go over
1: all the stuff with. Don't say this. Don't say that. God, it's the fucking truth. You ain't got to finish that. <laughs> <laughs> finish it because I don't know you as well as I do. An annoying ass. I'm just kidding. <laughs> oh, good. I'm just kidding. But I would just
0: get in the groove of it and be like, how did you die? And you're not supposed to ask that. We know that. But also, how'd you die? I want to know. <laughs> be respectful to the spirits. But also, can you tell me how you died?
1: Be respectful to the spirits and the ones having to do this with you that are going to get haunted. Right.
0: But also, you next? And then you wake up and the tub is filled? And, like, the floor is wet? And the crayon? Yeah, but that's weird, too, though. Like, do spirits really hurt us? I don't know. They can make me hurt myself. How? Uh, have you seen Scooby-Doo when he like runs in place and trying to get away? That would be me, but also I can't run like that and I would just fall. That's your example, Scooby-Doo. <laughs> but you know like just anything an insect, it will make me hurt myself cuz I'm trying to get away from it and then you know like whatever. You literally just said, "I mean, have you seen Scooby-Doo?" <laughs> it's a classic. But here's the thing, Gabby. We want to hear all the stories, but did you play with the Ouija board again? Or was that the last time and you're like, no, that's okay.
1: Well, if they're like everybody else who listens to this damn
0: podcast, they did play with it again. <laughs> <laughs> Carrie doesn't know this, but
1: I'm packing a Ouija board. The fuck you are. I'm not, I promise. I am. What, have you? Okay. If y'all are caught up on the podcast, you heard the last main episode where we talked about all of the accidents and we're about to drive 10 hours. You're not packing a Ouija board. No, I just want someone who's packing. Oh, Jesus Christ. Okay, the next one. Mean old grandma. Hello. Let me start by saying you two are the greatest pair I have ever heard. You make my job so much easier. Let me start this story by telling you a little bit about this particular subject. Me and my mom all were thick as thieves in life She was my mother my love and my life short little woman with fiery attitude All men are bastards is what she told me daily Wasn't afraid to speak her mind. The funniest thing in life to her was scaring a kid or a cat Mom all developed a rare cancer that wasn't operative and gave her three months Her final night on this earth, my dad would not let me go up there to be with her due to some mouthy bitches whom I would love to rearrange their grills. I cried myself to sleep, wanting nothing more but to tell my mama how much I loved her one more time. After dozing off, I heard the loudest boom go off inside my head, and my mama's cackling laughter scared the living shit right out of me. Talk about fear farting. I had enough time to steady my breathing when my phone rang. It was my dad calling me to tell me that she was gone. I replied with, I know, she told me. I have other stories, but I'll wait for another time. Stay beautiful, you two extra large pizzas, and don't ever change, Julie. That sounds like your mama. Well, she went short, but she loved to scare people.
0: Yes, she did. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. I've been going down a rabbit hole of animals being scared, though. And cats are the funniest when they're scared because they can jump so high. Mm -hmm. Like,
1: of course, she came to scare you, to yeah. <laughs> let you, like, to say goodbye. Yes. <laughs> what's your, well, I was going to say, what's your go-to, like, scared response? I freeze. Do You don't yell anything, ever? No, I,
0: I did yell one time. To- no? Yeah, I did yell one time because I said, that guy that was staying with me, Yes. He, I was, like, in my head, just, like, brushing my teeth, and I don't know what the fuck I was thinking about, but, like... Was not even thinking about anything, but like just focused on me. And he came rushing in and I did not see him out of the corner of my eyes because I was like just staring intently at myself. I don't know why. And I screamed like Carrie does. And I like my physical, like I physically went to the side because, but I scared him because he scared me so bad. (laughs) But that's the only time I've ever really made a noise. I just kind of freeze up. I really do. Fainting goat.
1: You really do. Uh, Mine tends to be, God
0: damn it! That's my (laughs) go-to.
1: Yes. And a very loud scream. Yeah, I can scream pretty loud when I'm scared. Yeah.
0: I love you and your mama's relationship. It reminds me of me and my mom. And so I totally get that. Like, she was your soulmate. And I'm so glad that you had that closure, even though you weren't able to physically have that closure being there with her. But it's like, She came to you like, girl, I'm saying bye to you. Anyway, I just love that. Okay, the next one. This one is The Girls in the River. Hi, my name is Dana M. I recently discovered your podcast and thoroughly enjoy it. Have I got a story for you? I know everyone says their story's long, but this one really is a long story and it could open up a rabbit hole as well. I've been trying to find an outlet for this story for years, and it's so interesting, but I've found no way to present it. So I hope you will find it worthy. Everyone has heard the stories of the famous murders and the stories of the famous murderers, but I've never heard this story, and it needs to be told. In 1956, two teenage girls, Elizabeth Fellers, who was 18, and Shelby Venable, who was 15, were murdered. No one has ever been charged in these crimes, and nearly everyone has forgotten them. Once I heard about what happened, the whens and the where, I could not forget them, although I don't believe there will ever be a conclusion. Just some backstory. I was part of the production of Destination America's paranormal reality show, Ghost of Shepherdstown. Shepherdstown being a small town in Jefferson County, West Virginia, with a very old history. The show was based on the idea that people were complaining to the police department about activity and occurrences that had no logical explanation and seemed to be of paranormal origin. The police chief called on a paranormal investigative group comprised of Nick Groff of Ghost Adventures and Paranormal Lockdown, Elizabeth Saint, and Bill Hartley to all solve the cases. I had moved to Shepherdstown from Maryland in 2007. After a few years, I started up a historical slash ghost tour in Shepherdstown and had done a great deal of research in the history of the town. For some reference, Shepherdstown, West Virginia is located at the very tip of West Virginia's eastern panhandle. It's separated from Maryland by only the Potomac River. It is a tri-state area bordering West Virginia and Maryland and Virginia. The Potomac River, which plays an important part in this story, is over 400 miles long, running from a trickle in West Virginia through Maryland, through Virginia, through Washington, D.C., all the way to Chesapeake Bay in Southern Maryland. In Harper's Ferry, West Virginia, the Potomac River confluences with the Shenandoah River. Anytime the producers had a question about something, someone or somewhere in Shepherdstown, they would come to me. Although I was billed as the historian in the show, I was merely a good researcher. A local woman, I'll call her Amelia, not her real name, reported hearing a splash in the river and seeing a body floating face down. When the police came, they could not find anything— The truth was, and this was not in the show, the young women had been seeing this occurrence and also seeing apparitions of a female soaking wet for years. Others had seen the wet girl also. A psychic called in and claimed that the spirit's name was Elizabeth, and she had been killed by her racetrack-loving boyfriend. The producers called me up and asked me if I had ever heard of a murder that fit that description. I had not and could not find anything on it, and talking to the old-timers in town, no one remembered such a thing. There was a racetrack about 10 miles away. I asked Amelia how the apparition was dressed, and she said that she thought it was fashions from the 1940s. I went to newspapers.com and searched for bodies found in the Potomac River and in that time range of 1930 to 1960. Then I went through the articles day by day, year by year. There were a few bodies found in the Potomac, usually boating or swimming accidents, but some were not accidents, especially in the Washington, D.C. area. Then I found something. On June 9, 1956, a woman's body was found tangled in some lumber about six miles downstream from Shepherdstown on the Maryland border. Each day the story unfolded. First, they were unable to identify her and they thought she had drowned. She was sent to the Frederick County, Maryland medical examiner. A week after the body had been found, another young woman's body was found about 10 miles further downstream in Virginia. These two young women were finally identified as Mary Elizabeth Fellers, who went by Libby, 18, of Beltsville, Maryland, and Shelby Jean Venable. 15 of Laurel, Maryland. What gave me chills is that I am from and grew up in Beltsville, Maryland, and Laurel is the adjacent town. I actually live in Laurel now. How unlikely is that? Two little drive-through towns 80 miles away from the crime scene. The coroners established that the young women had been murdered, likely by strangulation. Libby was so decomposed that she was only identifiable by teeth, earrings, and red nail polish. It was never absolutely proven as to Libby's cause of death, but it was assumed that she was strangled because that's how Shelby was killed. Or so they said, because Shelby's hyoid bone was fractured. I immediately felt a connection to the girls. Although I was only four years old in 1956, I knew Beltsville— I knew what the girls saw when they looked out their windows, where they would have shopped, where they would have gone to school, where they walked. I truly felt a strong psychic connection that I had to find as much information on them as I could. Beltsville is about 80 miles from Jefferson County, West Virginia, which would be at least a two hour drive from Beltsville in 1956. So, how and why were they there? According to newspaper reports and family interviews, on Friday, June 1st, 1956, around 8 p.m., Libby and Shelby left Libby's home in Beltsville to catch a bus. They told their parents they'd be going to the movies, and Shelby told her parents she'd be spending the night with Libby, and Libby said she'd be spending the night at Shelby's. You know, like teenage girls do. I do know where the bus stop was that the young women would be going to along Beltsville Route 1. I can picture the whole area. As they approached the bus stop, Libby's brother, Irwin, who was 13, was watching them. He saw a blue car, possibly a Ford. Another witness said it was a Buick, but he saw that car pull up to them. The driver, as described by Irwin, was a young man with a scar on his face. He saw the young women speak to the driver and get into the front seat of the car. They talked a little, and then the girls got out of the car and changed places, getting back in the car. As the car pulled away with the two girls in it, the driver looked over at Irwin and gave him a dirty look. Irwin claimed he would never forget that face, and that was the last time anyone saw Libby and Shelby alive. What happened after that is not known at all. Nine days later, Libby's body was found in the Potomac River. A week later, Shelby was found in Katoken Creek. I'm so sorry if I messed that up. Both young women were nude, but Shelby had been placed in the creek, while Libby had been dumped in the river. Because they had told their parents they would be at each other's house, no one reported them missing for three days. The police investigated as best they could. From reading the newspaper articles, the forensics seemed shoddy. But police searched for men with blue cars, men with scars, and acquaintances of the girls. They found Shelby's diary, which listed the name of men she and Libby had met and dated, mostly meeting them at the nearby Laurel Racetrack, Fort Mean Military Base, or at local dances. Shelby and Libby's mother claimed that the girls did not date, but Shelby's diary speaks otherwise. Was it real or was it a fantasy? Shelby had written a cryptic message, I hate Al and Al hates me, in her diary. The police interviewed men whose name was found in the diary but found no leads. They did find a blue car in Baltimore, Maryland that had a bloody blue coat in the back seat, but the owner of the car said his car had been stolen and he knew nothing about it. Nothing about that went further, although Libby had been seen wearing a plaid skirt, a polka dot blouse, and carrying a blue coat the night she went missing, because it had been raining. By the end of June 1956, Libby and Shelby were buried in a double funeral and buried in Fort Lincoln Cemetery in Brentwood, Maryland. And that was the last newspaper article. After that, they were forgotten by the public. The questions I have are, where were they actually going? The lie they told their parents about where they'd be spending the night seems like they had different plans other than go to the movies. Did they know the scar-faced Man in the blue car? In 1956, there were not major highways going to West Virginia from Beltsville area. They would have taken two-lane or country roads, and it would have taken two to three hours to get to the area where they were found. Why were they taken there? Were they going to the Charlestown racetrack for some reason? But if so, why, when there are others closer in Maryland? The coroner said Libby was killed around midnight on June 1st. How could he possibly determine this since she spent nine days decomposing in the water? As for the racetrack, about 10 miles from Shepherdstown is Charlestown racetrack, founded in the 1930s. Were they going there or under the pretense of going there? At one point, the police suspected this to be so. I checked and found that the racing season did not start until the end of June, but I'm sure trainers, jockeys, and others would be at the racetrack preparing for the season opening. What was the scenario that led up to their murders? Was one the intended victim and the other collateral damage? where were they killed? Libby was found six miles downstream from Shepherdstown. But rains had been heavy at the end of May, and the river would have been swollen and fast. She could have easily drifted that distance in nine days. Or perhaps she wasn't killed in Shepherdstown at all, but closer to where she had been found. So why would her spirit have been in Shepherdstown if she wasn't killed or dumped there? I believe because at that time, this was a very rural area, but Shepherdstown was an active town that had one appealing thing, a college, specifically a nursing school where there would be many young women Libby's age. Perhaps her spirit was drawn to trying to communicate with the young women there. Amelia told me sometimes she saw the apparition wet but clothed, but other times she would see it wet and decomposed. We wondered if she might have been seeing both Libby and Shelby. As I said before, many people had seen a young, wet woman around the university's Miller Hall. Miller Hall had been the nursing student dorm and practically overlooked the river. And now another one, Melvin Reese. A lot had been written about Melvin Reese, also known as the Sex Beast. It's not hard at all to find information about him, and he gets the most attention, not his victims or possible victims. Melvin Davis Reese lived at various times in Heightsville, Maryland, Virginia, and Arkansas. He was a jazz musician, evidently a pretty good one, an existentialist, and an amphetamine addict. In 1957, he murdered a woman who had been sitting with her boyfriend on a lover's lane near Annapolis, Maryland, approximately 30 miles east of the D.C. area. He walked up to the car they were in and shot her. Her date ran off, and later it was found Reese had violated her dead body. In 1959, Reese murdered a family that had stopped to change a flat tire near Fredericksburg, Virginia, about 75 miles south of the D.C. area. The Jackson family was a father, mother, young daughter, and a baby. He threw the baby in a ditch, and the father on top of the baby then shot the father. The baby suffocated. He then put the five-year-old daughter in the trunk of his car and kidnapped the wife. He brought them to a bunker that he had been using and tortured and murdered the mother, later killing the young daughter. Reese was caught because a friend of his turned him in. They had been talking about existentialism and Reese felt all life needed to be experienced, even killing someone. He said some other incriminating things and his friend turned Reese in to the police. When Reese was caught, he was tried in both Maryland for the Annapolis murder and Virginia for the Fredericksburg murder. It was quite the case that went all the way to the Supreme Court, as one state had the death penalty and the other didn't, and his lawyer argued that Reese was schizophrenic. Once Reese was caught, he was blamed for every unsolved murder in the Washington, D.C. area, including Libby and Shelby, although calling where they were found the D.C. area was quite a stretch. Heightsville, Maryland was about 10 miles from Beltsville. Although Libby's brother Irwin said that he would never forget the face of the man his sister rode off with, he was never shown Reese's picture to identify. And unfortunately, Irwin was killed in a car accident in the 1970s. Reese ended up in a penitentiary for criminally insane in Springfield, Missouri. He was diagnosed as psychotic and schizophrenic. In the 1980s, a reporter from Richmond Dispatch interviewed Reese, and it was to him Reese confessed that he killed Libby and Shelby. He never confessed to the police and was never charged with the murders. He also supplied no additional information and only related what had already been in the newspaper. Reese died in 1995. The other odd thing to me is that Reese was a prominent jazz musician in the D.C. area. So was my dad, but I never once heard my father say anything about him that I recall. I'm positive my father would have known him, especially because of the music, and jazz communities were tight-knit in those days. Coincidentally, my best friend's father was also a jazz musician, and he had never said anything about him either. Growing up in Beltsville, one would think parents would use this murder as a cautionary to tell their daughters, but no one I knew ever heard about it. After Ghost of Shepherdstown aired, I was contacted by the family of Elizabeth Fellers, her nieces, nephews, and cousins. Nine of them came down to visit me, and we spent several hours together, and they gave me more information. About half the family accept that Melvin Reese did it, and the other half don't believe it. Like me, they believe there's more to it. I was told that her father's last wishes were that they find out the truth. I don't know if I'm just being stubborn or not. Maybe I don't want to believe that something so random and just bad luck took these girls' lives away. I want to think that there had to be some understanding to what happened to them. But maybe there isn't any more to it just being the wrong place at the wrong time. It probably was Reese. But there's a lot of questions about that, too, at least for me. Did they know him? Would they just get in a stranger's car? Where was he going that night? A musician would be working on a Friday night. Why would he have driven them two hours away? How could he control them? I've never been able to locate the Venable family. And although the girls were buried in a double funeral, the families did not stay in touch and there was animosity. While researching, I talked to a psychic who had said she picked up the name Jockey Joe. I did find an up-and-coming jockey at the time, and in the area, they called Jockey Joe. He's now passed and seemed like a decent family man from what I've read about, but who knows? Is there a connection? Another psychic I talked to said there were two men in a red truck involved. I now live in Laurel, Maryland, about three miles from where Shelby lived. Where she lived has a road built over it and the trailer park where Libby's family lived in Beltsville is long gone too. Amelia, the girl who had been seeing the visions, no longer sees them, but I still feel them. They were my Beltsville girls, lower working class girls trying to find a way out and I cannot forget them. Thank you for reading my story. I hope you find some interest in it, Dana. Okay, yeah, that was a long email, but that was so interesting. And it's so odd, like, just how much you have in common with them. And I understand why you were drawn to that story. Because like you said, you know where they grew up. You know the things that they did. I did not know the D.C.
1: area had such a jazz uh, scene. Me either. But is it small enough that they would actually know each other? Well, they said a tight-knit community. Yeah. But it doesn't surprise me if your dad knew him that he didn't mention him to you. Yeah. Like, it was just somebody he was just an acquaintance
0: with. But Dana's saying, like, why wasn't Reese a boogeyman then? You know, that people would say, like, don't trust anyone
1: because well, blah, blah, blah. Ted Bundy wasn't either until he was. You know what I mean? He wasn't a boogeyman until he was. When he was called? Yeah, like, people didn't know that he was this terrible boogeyman. People weren't afraid of him. People didn't get a vibe from him until they found out that he was that. I think this guy was caught way before. No, no, no. Because I think you're... Are you saying, like, why didn't they get the heebie-jeebies from him? No. Oh. Why didn't the parents talk about it later? Like... Oh, not what I thought you said at all. I thought you were saying, like, why didn't they think he was creepy before? Yeah, and no. I'm like, well, that's not a thing.
0: Yeah, I know. When you were saying he wasn't until he was, I'm like, yes, when he was caught. And this guy was caught. We're all confused. Honestly,
1: I might be saying it wrong, too. Who knows? Well, I'm not joking. I think you did more research on that damn one email than we've done the whole podcast. <laughs> Do you like doing research for free? Because
0: it's <laughs> so, look us up. <laughs> oh, that's funny. But seriously, that's so interesting. And I'm going to watch that
1: special on Shepherdstown then. For real. And good for you being uh, with the TV. Uh-huh. The historian. All right. The next one. Recurring Nightmares and Ghostly Visitors. Hello, lovely ladies. So I sent you my first story a few weeks ago, and I said, then I've been binging all of your episodes and catching up. Well, I have to make a slight correction. In that email, I said that I listen to y'all when I do all the things. Um, Not anymore. I recently drew the line at listening while I eat. Picture it. You made yourself some breakfast and you sit down, hit play on your phone, start digging in. A few bites into your omelet, and suddenly, Carrie's talking about a damn skin curtain. Let's just say, my dogs, thank you for the breakfast. Okay, so on to the story. As I previously mentioned, pretty much every house I can remember living in has been haunted. Although the theory has been tossed around that maybe it isn't the houses, maybe it's me. Anyhoot, mom, new stepdad, and I have moved out of the apartment with Big John. The new house is a ranch style with a fully finished basement. It sits on a quiet little dead-end street that ends in an open field. It was built sometime in the 50s, but was update to the current times. I'm old, y'all. This all took place from about 1986 to 1992, which is how long we lived in this house. So the layout of the house was pretty typical. The front door came into the living room, which had a large picture window that faced out onto the street. The living room walked into the dining room and the kitchen between the living room and the dining room area is a narrow hallway that leads to three bedrooms on the main floor and the main bathroom. My mom was pregnant with my little sister. When we moved in, she would get the first bedroom in the hall next to hers was mom and stepdads across the hall. From them was my room. Next to me is the bathroom. This is the bathroom that would spurn my life hate for the color pink. Think Pepto-Bismol colored walls, shag carpet the color of ketchup, and decorated in pink ballerinas. Ladies, I have been an extra large pizza for as long as I can remember. Nothing about me says ballerina. Anyway, back to the house. I promise the details are for a reason. The dining room was not a separate room, but basically just a spot in the kitchen that had a smaller dining table and a couple of chairs would fit. There were sliding glass doors that went out to the backyard. On the other side of the kitchen was two doors, one that went out to the attached garage and the other that went down to the basement. As I mentioned, it was fully finished with a bedroom, large rec room, storage rooms with closet, laundry, I know, I know, small fourth of a bath, and the creepiest room in the whole house. Time out. What the fuck is a fourth bath? I've heard of a half bath. Is that just like... A sink? Yeah, yeah. Or just a toilet and you have to wash your hands in the kitchen? You'd have to slip up the stairs to go wash your fucking hands? <sighs> or maybe it's just a shower. Oh, that, that's probably it. <laughs> <laughs> We're dumb. <laughs> okay. All right. Small fourth bath in the creepiest room in the whole house. It was the only unfinished room. It was all concrete, no windows, and had the bolts or whatever from the concrete sticking out. For whatever reason, stepdad chose this room to be our, quote, playroom. I don't remember having any specific things happen in this room, but it always gave me the creeps. My little sister says the same thing, and she was six when we moved out. So, you know, it left an impression. Okay, so now that you know the layout of the house, let's get the tea of it. Almost as soon as we moved into this house, I started to have two specific recurring dreams. Not dreams, nightmares. So, the first one was the most frequent of the two and the most vivid. I would wake up screaming, crying, and shaking. It would start with me dancing around the living room and then hearing something outside. I'd run to the window, move the heavy curtains, and look out. I'd see my mom dressed in an old 1940s style dress and apron, standing at the end of our street by some kind of sign. In present times, it was a yield sign, but in my dream, it was not a modern sign. It looked like a wooden post. In her hands was a large straw broom. She was screaming at someone and I turned my head and looked the other way and I'd see a little boy running, screaming, mama, 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 at the top of his lungs with tears running down his face. He wore old trouser looking pants with a simple button-up shirt. He had on a newsboy kind of cap. Running behind him was the biggest dog I have ever seen. It's chasing him, nipping at his legs, snarling and foaming at the mouth. The little boy is running towards his mom, clearly running for his life, knowing that if this dog gets a hold of any part of him, he will not stand a chance. I look back to the mom and she now has the broom across her chest, knees bent, standing in a defensive position, bracing herself. She's yelling and screaming for the kid to keep running. He's almost there just a little bit further. I start yelling at him now too and banging the window, run, run. I look at him and he's just about to her. Suddenly the dream flips perspective. I now see everything as if it's from the mom's perspective. I see the little boy running behind me, hiding behind my legs. I feel the broom in my hand. And as I look in front of me, I see the dog lunging towards us. Then I wake up. The second dream was just as violent. I'd hear someone knocking on our sliding glass door in the kitchen. I'd run to the room to see the same young boy from my other dream. He'd start screaming, they're coming, they're coming, you have to hide. All of a sudden, the rapid fire gunshots can be heard. The boy starts screaming again and suddenly his body shakes as the shot hit his small little body. I start screaming and running through the kitchen thinking I can run down to the basement and hide down there. As I run through the kitchen, I hear noises in the garage. I try to run a little faster, and as soon as I get to the door, I hear what I can only describe as a Tommy gun, and then bullets come flying through, and I can suddenly see the light coming through the holes in the door. I scream and drop down, tucking my head into my knees and wrapping my arms around my legs. I hear a man yell, I think we got him, boss. Then I wake up. Now, here's the weirdest part. My stepdad was military and worked in the missile fields, so he'd be gone for three nights in a row, and it would just be mom, me, and my little sister. She would have been about three at this time. It's during one of these nights that she's laying in bed reading. My sister and I have long been asleep. The only light on is a small bedside lamp next to her bed. She's laying there reading. She keeps thinking she hears someone whispering. She sets her book down and listens harder. She swears she hears people listening. It sounds like two people standing in the hallway, whispering back and forth. She immediately thinks that it's either I or my sister or both of us are getting into something. Thinking to herself that she's about to catch her crotch goblins in some shit, she quietly sneaks out of bed, creeps over to her bedroom door, and slowly starts to open it. She immediately notices that it's almost completely dark out in the hallway. There's just the dim light from the nightlight in the bathroom. I'm about 10 and my sister is three. Neither of us are walking around in the complete dark. And she looks further down the hallway. She could just make out the silhouette of a woman and a small child. The woman is facing the child and is kind of bent at the hips talking to them. My mom kind of gasped because who expects to see that in their hallway? And then they disappear. Mom said she turned on the hallway light before stepping out of her bedroom. She checked in on me and my little sister and tippy toe ran back to her bedroom. Mom would see the ghostly duo a few more times over the years, always in the hallway. I know it freaked her out at first, but she came to just accept it and would barely bring it up. Once in a while, she'll ask me what I remember about that house, and I'll always tell her just the dreams. I don't remember seeing anyone or speaking to anyone in that house, but I will never forget those dreams. They were as vivid as if I was watching them on a movie screen, even to this day, and I'm now 42. I haven't had either of those dreams since moving out of that house. I don't know how they were connected or even if they were. Why did my mom see this? But this time I didn't. Could it be that the mom and the child she saw in the hallway were the same ones from my dreams? Well, this ended up being a lot longer than I thought it would be. Hope you enjoyed this one. I can't wait to hear what you guys think. Creeping it real in North Dakota, Chris. Okay, two things. One, I would have those dreams flipped in scaredness for me. Like, the gun vivid dream would scare me way more than the dog one. But also, um, what kind of creepy shit did your stepdad make your playroom? (laughs) With the bolts and the right? That is just a fucking hazard for a kid. Of all that space. And that's what he makes your room? (laughs) Thanks, Dad. (laughs) Okay.
0: So, in a Patreon episode that we just recorded, we talked about Divergent and, like, the simulation and stuff. But one of them is a dog. a dog. I thought that, too, actually. I was like, oh, my God, we, like, just talked about it. <laughs> yes. And so I was just like, holy shit. Because, so what do you do then, you know? I, oh. But anyway, that sounded just like that. And then the other dream, the, the gun one, yeah, that's fucking terrifying. I'm glad I don't have those dreams. I have some weird ones, but, like, mine's
1: like a passive weird Not like a tactical, gotta be weird, gotta, like, fight something. I mean, I did have that one run-in with Quasimodo on the water slide in my dream. But (laughs) other than that, and when I was a kid, I did have a recurrent dream of this stuffed duck that I had. It was Uh like a pillow, but it was shaped like a duck. He would grow and chase me. But other than that, well, and Freddy Krueger and, um, (laughs) what's the guy that ate people? Fava beans. What's his name? Um ah, Hannibal Lecter. Yeah. They would chase me together in a dream. Whew, <laughs> that was a that was a big one. Oh, tag team. Okay. yeah <laughs> Mine's mostly like I'm back at school. I failed a grade. Or I, Mine is I always I forgot to take one class in high school. Yeah. Or two. And then I'll forget what day I have to go, or I won't know where the classroom is. I remember one dream that I was like
0: wait, where's my schedule? Like I could picture, wow, I could picture the printout of a schedule and I'm like, I don't have it. Mm -hmm. How do I get it? And the bell was ringing and I'm like, but I don't know where to go. Literally all the fucking time. (laughs) That's so stressful. I mean, not as
1: stressful as what you went through with your dreams, but you know, anxiety's a bitch. I will also have a dream where I missed one class in high school and it's like none of my college counts. And I'm like, In my dream, I'm always like, how did you let me go to grad school and do all of that school and I have to go back and take this one high school class or none of it counts? Are you kidding me? Right? Oh, gosh. Well, we turned that
0: into um, tangent time for us, but thank you for the follow-up. I thought it was going to be more about Big John, but it was not. Uh, It was scary. Big John was sweet. Okay, the next one. Sleep paralysis, I think. Hi, girls. So one of your episodes made me remember what happened last night, and I just need to tell someone. I apologize for all the W and what else. I spilt hand sanitizer on my computer, and it's just not been the same since. I'll try to edit out what I spot. So to the story. I went to bed last night. Nothing unusual there. But I woke up wanting some water or to pee. I'm not sure. I sat up to turn on the light on my nightstand, but it won't turn on, and I immediately knew I was still dreaming. I shake myself awake, and now I'm laying in bed, but something's off. I feel like I'm stuck in molasses, and I can't keep my eyes open. It feels like I'm being dragged deeper and deeper into sleep. The bed started shaking, and I kept waking myself up, but I just couldn't stay awake and end up right back in the shaking, paralyzing molasses. At this point, I'm fighting to wake up hard. I fell in and out of the state about five times, just trying to move myself and jerk off this feeling. (laughs) Sorry. Okay. But it just won't go away. I've never felt the need to pray like this before. I'm not religious, but I started praying what I remember over and over while everything was shaking violently. And as I did, I felt a hand grab my head from the top, just holding it tight. I focus harder on my praying and wrap myself in a cocoon of light as protection. Slowly, the shaking stops and I feel the normal kind of sleepy. I'm not sure what happened after. Did I just fall back asleep? I was laying on my side through the ordeal. So FYI, side sleepers, you're never safe. Although I have also thought, was this just a fucked up epileptic seizure? But normally I would be able to feel when I wake up that something isn't right and I'd be all bruised. And I've never heard others talk about them going in and out of conscious state like this and knowing it's half dream or whatever the other half was. So what do you guys think? Love what you do. XOXO, Sophie. The molasses part and the jerking off. <laughs> Stop. Oh, I'm sorry, I had to. Whew, couldn't hold that one in. Um, but like the molasses part, the just how you were feeling. It does sound like sleep paralysis, and I really hate when you have those dreams where you are like, "No, I woke up," but you are still in the dream. That's so scary. It is because then you're like, "Wait, but am I awake or is this a dream?" Like you can't trust anything. Also, I always thought I was going to be immune to it because I sleep on my stomach. But I think we've had a sinister sightings where they had sleep paralysis and they were on their stomach. And I was like, Ooh. I never was super scared about it because I am a stomach sleeper. You know what
1: I've never heard somebody have sleep paralysis with? A CPAP machine? A CPAP. <laughs> I might be doing pretty good. Okay, the next one, Hawaii life. Aloha, ladies. Let me just say, it was amazing to hear Carrie read my story about my grandfather. Yes, you said my name correctly. Kiwana, Hawaii is my hometown, but now my family and I are now living in Henderson, Nevada. Due to the cost of living in paradise, you have to work at least two or sometimes three jobs to be living, quote, comfortably. So the husband and I decided to make that change like other local families and move to the States. Honestly, it was the best decision we made. We missed Kona. Kona. But we love it here. Kids are thriving, and the husband and I are in a much happier place in our marriage. Anyway, enough about my life. Let's talk about Hawaii and the Hawaiian culture and history. There's so much history about the Hawaiian Island and the Polynesians that set sail to the Hawaiian Islands. Along the coast of Hawaii Island and the other islands, there were fishing villages and villages of the native Hawaiians. And when the missionaries came to the islands, they pretty much destroyed our lands and stripped us from our culture and beliefs. We got our culture and our language back. It's different, but at least we have something we could call our own. Hawaii today is very different. There are million-dollar homes, resorts, private golf clubs along the coast, and I worked for a private resident golf club. I started working for this private club in 2018 as public area housekeeping. At the time, my husband would work morning shifts, and I worked evening shifts, so we didn't have to pay for a sitter. So my shift either started 2 p.m. to 10 p.m. or 5 p.m. to 1 a.m. As a newbie to the job, the security guards would stop the clubhouse to make their nightly rounds, and I would talk story with them, and they told me their scary encounters with ghosts or hear things in the dead of the night. I was working the 5 p.m. to 1 a.m. shift for a week and I was running a little behind. So I'm trying to rush and get things done. And I noticed each time I go into the downstairs women's restroom, I always felt like someone was watching me and I would get chicken skin, like goosebumps in that restroom. As I'm finishing mopping the floor and getting ready to leave the restroom, I instantly feel like someone is following me out to our housekeeping closet. I simply ignore whoever it is and just continue cleaning my mop bucket and putting my cleaning supplies away. As I turn my back to put my cleaning bucket away, I feel a little tug on my work skirt, like a little kid is trying to get my attention. All of my witchy senses are on high alert because I know what that was, but I'm thinking out loud and talking to myself and saying, you must have caught your skirt on the cleaning bucket, trying to debunk it like ghost hunters, but the cleaning bucket did not tug on my skirt. I tried playing it cool and acted like nothing happened by walking casually back to our housekeeping office to fill out my timesheet. sheet. My anxiety was on alert, and I could still feel the ghost child behind me and follow me straight into the housekeeping office. I still had an hour left in my shift, so I locked myself in the office and played a game on my phone until it was time to clock out. When 1 a.m. hit, I grabbed my things and left. I basically did a speed power walk to my car and went home and slept. The next day, I told my mom about the encounter and she told me if I felt the chicken skin again to just calmly tell the ghosts, I'm aware of your presence, but I'm here doing my job and I'll be leaving after. When I'm finished, please do not follow me anywhere around the property. Mahalo. My mom has seen some shit in her years and is sensitive to the paranormal. I am sensitive as well, but I haven't fully opened up like she is. I don't think I want to just yet, but I can sense things and have that gut feeling about things. So when I went to work that night, again, 5 p.m. to 1 a.m., I felt that presence in the downstairs women's restroom. I stood my ground and imagined myself being surrounded by a protective light and told the spirit what my mom said and left. I acknowledge the spirit and I haven't felt that chicken skin again after working there for four years. The spirit just wanted to be known like a child. Hello, I'm here. Give me attention. I have more stories and also some stories about a spirit who followed me home, a spirit that lives in my childhood home, and some spirit that my bestie had met in our workplace. I hope you ladies enjoy my spooky Obaki ghost story. Also, I just wanted to tell you ladies how much I appreciate you guys. You ladies are my morning routine when I'm getting ready for work. And I listen to you when I'm cooking dinner, cleaning my house, and driving. You guys go everywhere with me. I hope you ladies stop in Viva Las Vegas. I would love to meet you. Have a wonderful day. Aloha, Nona. Also, I hope that all of your family with the wildfires going on in Hawaii are okay. Yes, definitely. Also, Carrie
0: could really have a ghost kid. Pulling on her shirt, her skirt, anything. And she'd be like, oh, it's just me. Like, she would never think it was a ghost. And that ghost could be, like, tugging on everything. And she'd be like, oh, you know me, clumsy old me.
1: Big facts. (laughs) Oh, I gotta stop saying that. I'm on my own nerves saying big facts. Do you ever do that? Like, say something and you're like, God, that's annoying. Yeah. That's me right now. So, sorry if I'm on y'all's nerves, too. (laughs) You're not. That you know of. (laughs)
0: Also, I do want to go to Las Vegas. I mean, I might not see anyone there because I am a slot slut. And they have casinos up in the airport.
1: Well, slot machines in the airport. The thing is, though, is that we... It's not like we never go to the casinos. So I think that you'd be different than you think you'd be there. Girl, they'd be like, ding, ding 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 ding, ding. And I'd be like, oh, Jack, clap my nipples hard. Yeah, but it's not like you never go to the casino. hmm Like, other than... Las Vegas, Mississippi Gulf Coast has one of the largest casino areas, like, in the country. Yeah, but it's not Vegas. I know, but I'm just saying, I don't think you would be as... They have all
0: the cool games. Okay. I watch the TikTokers and, like, most of them, when they go there, they have all the cool games. Okay. Maybe you would be. I know I would be. You don't know me at all sometimes.
1: No, I know you'd be like, oh, my God. But I think that you would be like, oh, we got that game. Okay, yeah, we got that game. Okay, you haven't been to the casino in a while and watch
0: TikTok then because we ain't got lots of those games. Really? No, you're right. Yeah. But I do want to go to Las Vegas because I want to go to Zach Bagan's Haunted Museum. I know it's hit or miss and it's kind of problematic, but I want to experience it myself.
1: I get that. But for real though, let us know in the Facebook group or email or whatever how your family is.
0: Yeah, for sure. Okay, last one. Hello, Donna and Carrie. I finally grew a pair and submitted a story. There is so much to say that I don't know where to start. I am fangirling here. My name is Ashley and I'm from New Jersey, aka the Jersey Shore. And no, we are not like that MTV show at all. Since I'm Latina, our culture is open to spiritualism and religion. And in some ways, I am sensitive to the paranormal. I have many stories, both personal and from those who were close to me, but I'll start off with only two. At the time, my family and I used to live in a small, tiny apartment, and my mother was cooking and cleaning the kitchen. Our kitchen had an opening where it was visible. I looked up to check on my mom. Tell me why a spirit who looked like, or maybe was, the Grim Reaper walked slowly behind my mother out to the rest of the apartment. I was mortified, especially since I was only four. What did I just see? My mother realized her child had stopped playing and asked me what was the matter. Since my vocabulary was limited and I could not tell her the frickin' grim reaper was creeping up behind her, I told her the man in the black dress was walking behind her. My mother began praying and stated to the spirit that this was the house of the Lord and to get out of her home because it could not dwell here. Your girl was crying because it was too much to handle. My second story was about the time my brother captured an angel on camera. He bought himself a new Kodak camera and decided to take pictures of the house. Out of nowhere, he came into the room huffing and puffing and talking gibberish. After calming him down, he went back to the previous pictures and asked us to look closer. And there was a tiny little angel-like cherub with its eyes closed and hands positioned like it was praying. But of course, like any encounter, the proof was destroyed when my brother broke the camera by dropping it a week later. Well, girls, that's a wrap. I hope the stories were good. You gals are the best. Continue being two bad bitches. With much love, the other golden girl, Ashley. Fucking brothers. (laughs) Why was your brother, uh, me, huffing and puffing and talking gibberish? And also, he got the Kodak camera and then broke it a week later. Who is he, Carrie? But also, why did you see the Grim Reaper behind your mama? Like, was she okay after that? Why are you talking in such a bitch? I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) I was very concerned. Also, why did you see the Grim Reaper? And like, is everybody okay? Oh my God, you know who you sounded like? So I guess who I sounded like. If you said, look what I can do. No, not Stuart. Uh, the girl, Eunice from yes. She's the Man. I'm so there. It's insane. <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, gosh. Well, oh, Eunice. I love that they, like, actually loved her. I know. Like, they teased her, but then, like, invited her. But she was creepy. When she was like, I
0: didn't want to wake you. You were sleeping so, like, soundly or whatever. Like, what the fuck? You were just watching me
1: sleep? I mean, you you do kind of be doing that though with people who are there.
0: You know, it's because I get up hella fucking early. They did She needed to get up early
1: to go to the soccer game. Mm-hmm. These people be sleeping late. And, and Donna's like creeping around her house really quietly, trying not wake to him, wake them up. I would be like, "Get up! Time <laughs> to get up! Time to go! Get your shit and go! Bye!" Donna's like. So, um, do you want to have a little powwow before you go? I got you some, some soda in the refrigerator that I don't drink, but I keep it, you know, for my dick appointments. And whoever else drinks it, you drink it. I mean, I reap the benefits. I'm not mad about it. You're not wrong. And I'm not mad about reaping the benefits (laughs) from it, but I'm just saying you got an M.O. (laughs) Hence why she was brushing her teeth and forgot the guy was there. (laughs) He was
0: very silent, though. Like, I couldn't hear him walk. I could hear Marley walk, you know? You know you can hear me walk. Colby says I walk like we've got a raise foundation. <laughs> you are a loud walker. I am. I'm walking like Warrior right now. The weight gain is real, y'all. <laughs> oh, also, okay, this has nothing to do with this, but you said Cherub, and I recently watched uh, The Ugliest House in America And I think it was like last season's, now they're on like a road trip or something. But there is a house and I'm going to spoil it. So if you like home improvement stuff and you haven't watched it, I'm going to spoil it because I'm going to tell you which one won. Because there were all kinds, you know? There's some that you know is not going to win because there's not a way that they can make this house over with Mm
1: $150,000
0: because the things are just too bad. However, some of these, I'm like, it's just aesthetic like you can change this you know what i mean well there is this house and it was very ornate it's like 400 square foot um and this guy had bought it for his family like they all were living there okay like his mom and dad his sister him and his girlfriend and there were like 42 or 43 cherubs all over this place. And I mean, like the sconces, there was like a stained glass window with one, like well, multiple of them, all of that. But I'm like, yeah, it was bad, but it wasn't like bad. Mm-hmm. There were definitely other houses. But when I saw that cherub house, I was like, that's the one that's going to win. And it should not have won. And it fucking won. And I was like, you motherfucker. Okay, let me watch the other one now because they're on that road trip. So I'm going to watch it. But that's how it goes. Like, the ones that I'm like, no, I want to see what you can do with this house. But they're not going to because mm-hmm. it's too expensive. Yeah. And I mean, I do get that. But also, like, let's name it a different thing then because that wasn't the uh, most ugliest house. Well, that's not what the name is. You sure know was. what? I, yeah, n-
1: <laughs> <laughs> the mostest, ugliestest houses ever. Well, you know what? Thank y'all so much for listening and sending in these stories. If you want your story read on an episode, send it in to us at aparanormalchicks at gmail.com. Oh, and even though we didn't have an intro, we've had intros for the
0: last two. And if you want to do an intro, go to patreon.com slash the APC podcast and you can sign up, do an intro, however you want. You can rhyme. You can just be like, what up? This is Donna. This is Paranormal Chicks. Bye. Like, whatever you want, you do you. But yeah, we'd love for you to be part of the Creepinauti. And remember, creep it real and and don't don't get get scared.